If you would like to support the podcast and get some extra content while you're there, head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast and sign up. From the rewatch to the Q&A, we will have loads of content every week. So sign up, patreon.com forward slash severe MMA podcast. And now, here's the podcast. Graham McDonald is an idiot. Sean Sheehan of severemma.com. He even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god. This is Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. The Severe MMA podcast is finally here. Welcome to the Severe MMA podcast. Here's your host, Sean Sheehan. Welcome, everybody. It's episode 329 of the Severe MMA podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan, a.k.a. The Pod God. Uh, joined today, actually, by two hosts, funnily enough, uh, to uh, to do the Severe MMA podcast. Hope you are all well. Uh, first of all, joining me today will be Spencer Kite. We had so much fun last week on the State of the UFC podcast. I decided to get Spencer back on. Everyone had, uh, had really enjoyed that podcast. If you haven't listened to it yet, it's actually kind of an evergreen podcast, so you can go and listen to it probably uh, good for the next two or three weeks anyway. Uh, so if you haven't listened to that, go back and listen to it. Uh, and Spencer's going to join me to talk about the uh, the UFC card uh, headlined by uh, Anthony Smith and Ryan Spann uh, and then Graham is going to pop on again to look ahead to next week and also talk a little bit about uh, the Irish MMA fighters from last week who had uh, some very very good results before we do that we must tell you the autumn is in the air the pumpkins are in the patch and our friends at Manscaped are here to make sure you don't carve your pants pumpkins when you're grooming I just <laughs> that's a good one uh, if you know what I'm saying uh, make sure you're keeping things fresh this fall with the leaders in male grooming and their brand new 4th generations performance package boys get ready for a cuffing season like no other uh, ready to take the leap into autumn with Manscaped join the 2 million men worldwide uh, by uh, at Manscaped by using the code SEVEREMMA for 20% off and free shipping at manscaped.com and I know like it's been a long time now. I actually had um, I was out for dinner. Happy birthday to Patrick Sheehan uh, uh, this Saturday night, and I had my uh, it was Saturday, yes, and I had my uh, my manscaped uh, out and, and ready to to hit the town for that. So it's absolutely brilliant, and it's time you bundle up as well with manscaped and the performance package 4.0. Inside inside this, you'll find the lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, weed whacker, ear and nose hair trimmer, crop preserver ball deodorant, and crop reviver toner, which I was using tonight, and the uh, uh, boxer briefs and the travel bag as well uh, first off the new brand new performance package 4.0 includes the lawnmower 4.0 if you're looking to cozy up uh, this uh, autumn uh, with, with a, a brand new trimmer the fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming incidents uh, thanks to the advanced skin safe technology 4000k LED spotlight uh, it, which uh, goes on and off it's absolutely brilliant and it's waterproof too uh, also in that performance package 4.0 Weed Whacker 9000 RPM motor power 360 degree rotary blade proprietary skin safe technology I said it right which helps prevent nicks, snags, tugs and all the rest of that sealed the deal with Manscaped liquids per, uh, formulations which I, which I absolutely love I need more of a Manscaped for listening it's, it's in the bad to me uh, crop preserver ball deodorant uh, and the crop reviver as well absolutely fantastic you need those lads I'm telling you Manscaped even threw in two free gifts to the performance package 4.0 the box 
boxers and the shed travel bag. So get comfy and go this season. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code SEVEREMMA at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping with the code SEVEREMMA at manscaped.com. Actually, while you're there as well, throw in the mints. Their mints are absolutely gorgeous. I love them. Uh, make your balls a priority this autumn. Choose Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. Right, uh, Spencer, thank you very much for joining me here. We're literally moments out uh, from UFC Vegas 37, I believe it was, if I remember from the hashtag I was just using. Um, and look, it was one of those cards where, on paper, probably wasn't much to look forward to, um, apart from, you know, some fighters that, uh, you know, like the likes of Saryukin maybe, and uh, the main event, but in practice... A pretty good card overall. I, I, I came in for my all-you-can-eat Chinese and uh, and I sat down and I was like expected to be a little bit, uh, you know, it to be a bit of a drag, but it wasn't. Pretty good card. Were, were you impressed with Spitzer? How are you? I hope you're well. I, I'm, I'm well. I appreciate getting the invite back. I'm glad everybody enjoyed our last get-together talking about the divisions. I mean, this is one of those cards that lunatics like me get excited for because I really want to see all of these newcomers and youngsters that are early in their UFC career to, to get another read of, of where they're at in their development. And so I was excited to see a bunch of these preliminary preliminary card fights. And yeah, I mean, as you said, it, it was one of those ones where you weren't expecting a ton and it turned out to be a pretty entertaining fight. I mean, we got four finishes out of six fights on the main card. We had some good performances on the prelims. And, and I think there's a few things that we will be talking about, from this show going forward in the next couple of days as we build towards UFC 266 on on the weekend. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. I, one fight, I think, uh, kind of a soft spot for both of us. You seem to have a soft spot for Nate Mattis, and Tony Gravely has uh, been very kind to Severe May over the last six months or so, and Ian has interviewed him a few times, so I felt like that was kind of Severe May versus Spencer <laughs> there in that one. <laughs> the tweets were kind of going back and forth on, on Twitter. But that, that to me, like, we, we'll get to the main card and the main event in a second, but from the undercard, that was just a crazy fight. Mattis was doing very well with his jab and everything early and if there is you know if you're coming in you're listening to this in the morning having not checked out uh the undercard that would definitely be one i would check out straight away gravely knocked him down towards like literally three seconds left in uh, in round one in a close round one i think they were giving manis maybe a little bit more on the commentary than he deserved although he did very well as well i thought it was very close um and gravely came out and hit him again at the start of the second but manis just Oh, he just gritted it out as you you know you tweeted it a couple of times he's a greedy fighter there's just no beating him and he came back and he ended up finishing gravity in that one that was a what a what a gym of a fight that was from two guys you know man is 14 and one gravity 21 and seven experienced guys but you know both of those records very good obviously one slightly better than the other in terms of uh you know the ratio but two very good fighters and, and a, a fight that did fly under the radar a little bit didn't it well, and two guys to go back to what we we spoke about last time we were on the show together um, that have a lot of experience from the regional circuit and fighting good regional competition. Nate Manis fought up here in Canada a couple of times for TKO, lost his belt to Taylor Lapilus, who is a who is a good decorated fighter. And Tony Gravely fought on the on the East Coast circuit in CES and CFFC. And if you look at the guys that had beaten him prior to tonight, it's all accomplished fighters. Like there's not a name in there that you don't recognize as, as someone that beat him. And so, I mean, if there's 15 seconds left in that first round, we're talking about a first round finish for yeah. Tony Gravely. And then for Nate, for Nate Manis to come out for the second straight fight, lose round one, 
pretty handily, kind of, and, and I mean, as you said, close through till the end, but then he gets dropped and, and sat down. And as he said in his post-fight interview, first time he's been knocked down, so kind of felt really weird to come out and get that finish two minutes into the second round, very similar to the way his fight with Luke Sanders went. And uh, just another example to me of, of why I continue to think the bantamweight division is the most consistently entertaining, the deepest, most competitive division in the UFC right now. Yeah. Because here's a guy that's on a four-fight winning streak now or a three-fight winning streak now in the UFC that's nowhere near the top 15, but is a handful. Like, he's a problem. I would love to see him. I mean, we don't need to get into matchmaking, but like, I would love to see him fight Sean O'Malley. Yeah, that wouldn't be a bad fight. Just just to see what O'Malley does with a tough guy like that, with a gritty guy like that, that's not going to go away. Yeah, right. Really good test. And like, we saw a bit of that against Moutinho, but obviously on short notice and maybe not the, and I would say definitely not the class of, of of a Manus, but he's one of those guys that like, uh, if you were to look at him technique for technique almost in, in a lot of ways, I think Gravely's sl- a slightly better fighter. Although Manus right. might be a little bit underrated too, but yeah, I, I thought it was a good fight. I, like, this is the sort of fight I wouldn't be surprised if we saw it again down the line, you know. I think uh, I think um, Gravely will bounce back and Manus will go on, but it was it was definitely a fun fight. I, I actually missed the first couple of fights of the card. What, was Radding the, the Goldie fight where she won? There was a, a draw between uh, Lopez and uh, Alething and uh, the, the Carlton Harris uh, would over Imbricasangana, and I think that that stood out in those. I'll have to catch those in the morning. The Carlson Harris knockout or or finish was was a nice finish. He, I mean, it was a matter of, and I think I tweeted it out during the fight. There's no substitute for experience, right? Imbricasangana is a hell of an athlete with a football background who's still transitioning into mixed martial arts and figuring it out. While Carlson Harris is a 34 year old with 20 some odd fights to his name and just beat him to the punch a couple of times, rocked him. And, and Impa has shown in these couple of fights that he's lost that he doesn't take shots well yet. He hasn't, I mean, and, and it may be a will never take shots well, but he doesn't wear them well. And as soon as he gets rocked, the legs go and, and Carlson Harris pounced. The Hannah Goldie fight, and I don't say this to take anything away from Hannah Goldie. But it's one of those performances where it kind of felt like Emily Whitmire lost the fight as much as Hannah Goldie won the fight. She left her arm in. Um, there was an exchange early in the fight where, where they were grappling and she left the arm in and kind of got it out last minute before Hannah Goldie was, was able to really set up the arm bar. And then it was the exact same sequence later in the round. And you could see by her reaction, she sat down and kind of like put her head in her hands. And you could just tell it was a like, Yep, you screwed up and you know it. That sucks because you were, she was doing well. And to come back off a year layoff and just kind of have one of those mental mistakes really sucks but i mean it credit like, credit to hannah goldie it feels like whitmire has done that a couple of times like i she's one of those people that always sticks out to me as someone to keep an eye on you know that she's yep. going to be a good fighter and you know may, maybe she still will be but she's four and five now in, in mma right. and i not just in the ufc and i know like she's fought some very you know very very good people amanda hebas Gillian robertson being a you know a couple of them you know what, that with that sort of record and being out of the cage, as you said, what is it? I'm just looking at 13 months out of the cage, and yeah. it was 14 months before that as well. It's it's tough. It's she's it's gonna she's gonna find it tough to the to, to keep her job. I'd say I would love someone like that to go back to maybe to an Invicta, 
you know, win four, five, six fights like um, uh, Angela Hill did right. and come back into the UFC. Because I, I think she definitely has potential. I think she's definitely... Got, and I didn't see the fight tonight, so I may, may be wrong. Also, I must say... Arm armbar? Armbar people will kill me if I don't say armbar, so there you go. But um <laughs> I uh yeah, I do think she's a good fighter and I, I, I think she has potential for the future. We've like we've seen that in her past fights as well, and uh you know, I think it'd be you know I, I, it'd be a shame if we lost her from the sport and I know you know some people get caught and uh, you know, we've seen that recently people get caught and they just retire but um you know I, I think uh someone like her I think I would I think has a big future not maybe not a big future but but a future in the sport if she can get it all together and most importantly stay fit and that's a big issue for her too isn't it yeah and, and that's the biggest thing and I mean you mentioned it she's four and five in in her MMA career like nine fights isn't a lot and so the biggest thing for her and, and I think the Angela Hill call and sort of the path she took is the exact right one. There are opportunities are at Invicta or in other regional promotions. LFA runs shows all the time. There's there's different different spots you can go to get fights, especially as a former UFC fighter, if that happens yeah. to be the case. Mm-hmm. Because everybody on the regional circuit is looking for that win over a former UFC fighter to get there. But go out and just try. I mean, health is health is paramount. And so being able to stay healthy and stay active is, is crucial. And so if she can do that and go out and just get some of those reps, just get some of those rounds in and, and learn a little bit and actually have time to properly develop in the cage and in her training in between those fights, there is still potential there. But that, that really feels like kind of what we are seeing more so in the women's ranks than necessarily the men's at this point, obviously the men had a long head start, especially in the UFC, but also kind of in that lower tier of things in a lot of these divisions is that there's a lot of people that you look at and you go, man, I I could just see, I can see those glimpses, but they're two or three fights or two or three years of experience away from figuring it all out and putting it all together to where they can be consistent. It doesn't mean they're going to win every fight. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean that they're going to go on to be champions, but where they're competitive and not making these same mental errors that cost them fights like this. Yeah, like I, as someone obviously who covers the, the local scene a lot here in the UK and Ireland, we see it all the time. You know, we see someone losing a fight and then coming back and, you know, bouncing back. Someone like, say, Paul Hughes, who lost the fight a couple of fights ago and now he's fighting for the Cage Warriors title. And, you know, if he wins that against someone like Asharia, it's that next step after that kind of that 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 setback so you know that's it's big it's really is a big thing in, in mixed martial arts and uh we we're talking about him on the patreon podcast as well this week funnily enough but uh yeah i suppose that's a that's a bigger discussion for another day then after <laughs> after i came in the next six fights in a row all went to the third round two of them finished it but i brought the uh i brought the decisions with me although the, the blanchfield aplar fight that was really fun i came in and there were two of these girls beating the head off each other it was, it was absolutely fantastic a great fight that was uh blanchfield came to the end of it uh, JP Boys and Jackson, you know, Boys just looked like he was going to get knocked out this whole fight, and I actually am not sure how he didn't. Did, did, did he get knocked out? Topology? Did, did I have the result right here? Did he go to unanimous decision? It felt like he did get knocked out, but um, and he got he got knocked down four or five times. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was it was bad. Um, I was very impressed with Ju Rong. I think. You know, his performance in this was very good. They kept saying, you know, he was born in the year 2000. But that, funny enough, makes him 21 years of age or 20 years of age anyway. So he's not actually that young. (laughs) It felt like he was 12 the way they were talking about it. But this guy, he's a good prospect, isn't he? And, you know, 21 years of age. I'm looking at his record here. 18 and 4. 
that's a that's a lot of fights for a young guy like that and you know i don't know whether that's a good thing or a bad thing per se but uh you know and he only made he made his debut in 2016 so he's been fighting what for four and a half five years uh, at this stage uh, and you know lost most of his fights early he's only lost one fight since 2018 so you know he's on a he's on a pretty good run there but he looks he looks a good fighter, doesn't he? If he was like if there was someone to pick out from tonight, I think he might be the one that uh, that people are talking about in the uh, the next time around that he comes to, to fight. He's certainly one, and I, and I got it completely wrong. I mean, I I watched back his fight with Kazula Vargas from his debut and thought, there's just I'm just not sure. Twenty one, but yeah, lots of fights over in China in a promotion where you know local guys and and kind of favored guys get good opportunities, but. As you said, a lot of showed showed a lot of improvements in that fight and a much better performance against Brandon Jenkins here on Saturday. Yeah. The one for me that's and I mean, look, I think Montel Jackson has a world of potential as well. Mm-hmm. Earned his contract in his first year as a professional fighter. His two losses are to Ricky Simone and Brett Johns, who are two very, very Brilliant. good fighters yeah, very good, yeah. and terrific grapplers that are able to beat him at his strong point. And I think Aaron Blanchfield is absolutely the truth and somebody that is going to be a contender in that division in the very near future. Mm-hmm. She's only 22. She's fought great competition on the way up. She's now eight and one. The loss to Tracy Cortez was a split decision that a lot of people think should have went the other way. She's a BJJ black belt. There's little technical things that she needs to continue get, getting better at moving her head off the center line and things like that. But that fight to me, and and I tweeted it during the fight, was a reminder that there are tiers to this. And Aaron Blanchfield is on a very different tier than Sarah Alpar. And and like I've said it a couple of times, it'll be in the piece that I'll I'll have up later tonight, recapping the fights. I never say these things trying to be a jerk and trying to disparage athletes. But I think we need to talk a little more honestly about skill levels and and where fighters fit in divisions. Like, God bless Sarah Alpar for coming out with her GoFundMe and and seeking out opportunities to train full-time and things like that. And look, we don't need to get into fighter pay. I wish she had the opportunity to train full-time. But to frame that as so I can chase my destiny of being UFC champion is a little bit unrealistic with yourself. And I get that you have to be completely all in, but like, Christos Yago saying before his fight that I'm going to prove that I'm top 15, bro. I love you, but you're not top 15. Like it's okay to be like, I need to just come out here and show that I'm one of the 50 best lightweights in the world. Like I just, and, and none of us seem to want to do that. We all want to be really nice and we don't want to piss anybody off and we don't want to lose any potential interviews and things like that. We all say, Oh, well showed a ton of toughness being in there. Sarah Alpar got her ass kicked. She's now got her ass kicked in consecutive UFC fights spread out a year apart because that's how bad Jessica Rose Clark beat her ass last time they fought. Yeah, it's funny. I was on... uh... I was on the MMA fan podcast actually uh, with my good friend uh, Blake Harrison, did, and I we had the exact same discussion. To be <laughs> honest, about like you know if someone performs badly or is not at a level, we should say it. And the problem with that is right. I'm sure you know you lo- you you watch the NFL or you watch you know all the American viewers or the MLB or whatever it was, and I watch you know Man United and Harland and soccer here. 
Jesse Lingard playing for Man United. He's not good enough to play for Man United. And I have no right. problem saying that, right? If someone is right. not good enough to play or to, right. to fight in the UFC, should we really have a problem saying that? No, it's a different because they, these people do go in there and they put their life on the line, and they, you know, they put their body on the line, and they don't get paid enough, and all of that, a hundred percent, it's all right. part of it. But also, the part <laughs> of it is the sporting part and the ability part, and. These people literally go in there and fight for their place. And we right. know exactly who's better and who's not. And sometimes, right. you know, you can see it. Also, I think a thing about it is with the amount of cards and the amount of people on cards, like you said, Christoph Jagos there, I didn't even realize he fucking fought tonight until I scrolled up. <laughs> I was like, who did he fight? He's like, oh, he fought Zaryuk. Oh, right. yeah. Like, I, we don't even, there's so many fights on. There's so many fighters on the card. There's 15 new people signed from Dana White Contender Series. Who the right. fuck are these people? Like, like we don't know what? where these people, one of them could be uh, fucking John Jones and one of them could be fucking CM Punk and we don't know the difference. Like, it's, it's right. impossible. And look, we will eventually. And that's, that's my thing. Yeah. I was talking to Ian about it. If I need to know these guys, eventually I will get to know them. But there's right. so many. There's 700 people in the UFC at the moment. Now, I know the ones from the UK and Ireland and some of the ones that come through Europe. And, <laughs> you know, it, and we, we take on that side of it. We, we had a huge discussion about that last week. But it's impossible to know all of these people. And uh, I think, look, I think you do a good job of doing that. But they, these people should maybe know themselves. Yeah. Maybe but, they prey on people not knowing them, do you think? <laughs> or, or I, that, you know, that smart I mean, the, the irony to me, right, is that we we don't want to be overly critical or mean to a Sarah Alpar of course yeah. or a JP buys or Christos Yagos for saying he's going to prove that he deserves to be in the top 15 in arguably the deepest most competitive top 15 there is but then when Sam Alvey fights every time Sam Alvey fights the whole of MMA Twitter erupts screaming that this man has no business being in the UFC <laughs> and so it's like just I mean same as always all I want is consistency I would be happy with brutal honesty and calling it like it is for literally everyone, but but that's just me, and I've I've come to accept that I'm a really weird outlier no. in this in this space. We, de- <laughs> we, we definitely won't be getting that anyway. But anyway, um, <laughs> I I enjoyed the the next two. Well, Raquel Pennington and Penny Kanzad. I don't think there's actually too much to say about that. Not a great fight. Lots of clinching. You know, twenty nine, twenty eight. Just, just a typical Raquel Pennington fight. Yeah, I like I, I Raquel Pennington kind of changed her game. Does she? Uh, maybe I'm maybe I'm just having like a, a a good view of the past. But I I felt like she used to be a little bit more exciting. But maybe not. But I, I thought Kinzad was a little bit uh, unfortunate not to win it. Although having said that, I was only half watching to be honest. But yeah, not a great fight. Uh, Pennington came out on on the right side of that. The next two fights though. Uh, tough on Chukwi against Mike Rodriguez. Chukwi, you know, he lands <laughs> the shots he lands are just like blistering shots. I tweeted yeah. it as like fair play to Mike Rodriguez for taking this fight. Like if, if someone rang me and go, "Will you fight this guy?" I would like absolutely fucking not, never in a million years. And, and uh, what did he get? He probably got fifteen grand for fighting him. Just uh, Jesus Christ, uh, the 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 shots he was landing were insane, and the the Buckley versus Ohio, Ohio fight as well. I thought that was a good fight to be on. I thought that was um, you know, Ohio moved to nine and five. I don't. I think he's better quality than a nine and five fighter to be honest. I think you know some of the stuff he was doing was was pretty good, but uh, again, Buckley that power, it just you know it just took over in the end. It just won him that fight. He's one of these guys that you you just can't give the opportunity to um, hit him a little bit around the back of the ear. Absolutely illegal shot, no, no doubt about that. And then hit him with the uppercut, and uh, Ohio was gone, but. Um, 
Chuck Weasel at one of these guys, six and one, uh, a good fighter, Buckley. Buckley's one as well that I'm not sure his his power and his his uh, knockout ability uh, will get him to a level and a pretty high level at 185 because it's not the greatest division in the world. Right. But I feel right. like he's still lacking something, isn't he? Yeah, and I mean he's another one of these guys that you know going into the week he said I'm I'm going to go out there and prove I'm I'm championship worthy and look. There's nothing wrong with being an all-action, thoroughly entertaining dude that I look forward to fight to, to seeing fight. You landed the highlight reel knockout of the year last year. It's dope. It is forever going to be cut into the pay-per-view montage and shown all over the place every time you fight. It is one of those finishes that everyone hopes they have. That might be the best you get. You like he he could get into that kind of lower third of the top 15 at some point, but he's a little small for the division. As you said, it's, it's sort of the, can he land that big shot? And I think against the better fighters in the division, the more well-rounded fighters in the division, he's going to struggle. We saw that against Kevin Holland and, and yes, it was short notice, but I think that fight goes the same way. If it happened again on full camps for both of them, we saw him get knocked out last time out against the Lesio de Kiriko who just, had a little bit more to offer that he had to be aware of that created the opportunity for the head kick. And so exactly what you said, right? The division's a little shallow. So his upside or his, or his top end might be a little higher than some guys, but he feels kind of, you know, 12 through 25 for the yeah, next 100%. three or four years mm-hmm. that a lot of people, and a lot of people don't want to pay attention to those people. Don't acknowledge those people. Those are my people. Those are the people I want to see. Like, I like those dudes. Do you know how hard it is to be in the UFC for like five years and and stay above water? Like, those are the sort of the people. Those are the sort of people I see fighting eight times and have never heard of them every time they fight. <laughs> <laughs> those are my people. True. Uh, true. Yeah. I just I can't. But I, anyway, we'll we'll move on to the main. Um, well, the main card we, t- we talked about Gravity versus Man. It's a very good fight. The next three fights after that. Before the main event were three dominations, really. You know, our man Saruk and I always think of the, the, the game. What's it, Saruk? Every time he fights, but uh, he got a great win over the aforementioned Jagos Lipsky dominated Mandy Bohm, who a lot of people had uh, had high expectations for her coming in here, but she did not look great at all. Now she's still only eight fights in, so we'll we'll uh, we'll part that for a second. But Kutalaba as well against Devin Carr looked as you know as well as Kutalaba has probably looked landed. His big shots won 10 in the first round, probably the same in the, in the second round, actually. I was coming out here to, to record the podcast, so I didn't hear his uh, post-fight interview or anything like that. But um, I'm sure he said something crazy, as he always did to do. But those three fights, three pretty easy fights for the winners there, weren't they? Pretty straightforward, pretty solid. I mean, you have to be impressed with Armand Saryukin. Very good. I said, it, I said it afterwards, like, the unfortunate thing is that makes it even harder for him to get a fight. Because, it's you know, if he goes... If he goes out and he struggles a little bit and it's just another decision, kind of like the Matt Favola win, then, then maybe there's a little bit of like people thinking and the people ahead of him thinking maybe he's not as good as we thought. But he goes out there and blisters this dude and then is just like, look, I give me somebody. Give me Dan Hooker. Dan Hooker can't get over here. Whenever he's able to get a fight, I'll fight Dan Hooker. That was which bizarre. Is, which that is was... one of those wild things that like <laughs> no one calls out Dan Hooker, yeah, right? Except doesn't... for yeah. except for lunatics like Islam Mahashev and Armin Suryukin. 
And Armin feels to me like like the replacement, the heir apparent to, to Islam Mahashev as the guy that is all risk, no reward for everyone ahead of him oh, in the rankings yeah, right now. Really and so, and I mean, his manager, shout out to Danny Room, chimed, chimed him on, on Twitter and said like, he'd beat Islam in a, if they both had a full camp. I'd love to see it again. I think this kid is, is absolutely deserving of a top 10 opponent. I would even warrant to say, just throw him in there with whoever in the top five doesn't have a fight right now. And let's just see, because at 24 years old, he's got plenty of time to build it back up if he does lose, because he looks like the real deal to me. Yeah, they'll probably give him to my guy, Benil Dariush, now, and he'll be he <laughs> I see he's ranked number 14 at the moment. Has he fought Fizayev? That, that'd be a good fight. Is Fizayev Danny Rubenstein's fighter as well, or am I mistaken? Fizayev is Danny Rubens' oh, fighter God. as well. He, he is booked with Brad Riddell, which will be oh, a hell of a fight. Fun, yeah. But like anybody anybody in that group, right? If, like if Diego Fajara is ready to go, if Gregor, Gregor Gillespie, Gillespie yeah. is ready to go. Like, I like that fight. I'm, I'm in on any of those. I, I mean, look, you don't necessarily want to fight backwards, but Tiago Moises is a good fight. But then you get into those established names, right? Rafael Dos Anjos doesn't want any part of that. Michael no. Chandler, he's got a fight book. And, and as you said, your guy, Benil Dariush, is, is the odd man out right now that's that's looking for a fight. And I wonder if the UFC oh kind gosh. of Leave alone. Push, pushes, on, <laughs> pushes on that lever a little bit just uh, to see what's up. <laughs> Tony Ferguson might fight him. Is Tony Ferguson fighting anyone? Is he, is he a fight book? Tony doesn't have a fight book yet. That, that. that might be one. He's <laughs> he's wild enough to take it. Yeah, that's funny. Uh, and Lipsky is, well, we have to mention her because she came off of two losses in a row that I was 100% sure she was going to beat Antonina Shevchenko. And she lost badly in that one and then lost to Montana De La Rosa. And I was thinking like, oh, you know, because Lipsky is a very highly rated fighter in this part of the world after fighting in KSW and on. She lost, you know, a couple of fights coming into the UFC, which you, should, you could... Uh, excuse a little bit but those last two losses were very very uh maybe damaging to her uh her uh you know the, the way people thought of her um but very very good comeback fight here and she is a she's a very very good fighter but um yeah i, I like at 125 pounds it's funny because lipsky is one of those people i think that can go far in that division but like it feels like just it hasn't really clicked for her yet i, I feel right. like kutalaba might be actually uh, you know a bad Similar, example of yeah. that as well because he's a good fighter but he just he seems to lose a lot you know <laughs> and well, uh, it's not the best division either of them like so well and the interesting thing with both of them for me going forward is they've both moved to bigger gyms right arian lipsky is now training at american top team i wonder what kind of impact just being around that that kind of coaching, that kind of training, that those those training partners is going to have on somebody who, as you said, had a tremendous amount of success in KSW, struggled early in the UFC. She she has lost to the best opponents she has faced thus far in the UFC. And I just kind of wonder if a fight like this for her is the one that, that gets her right, that being at ATT changes some stuff. She goes out, she shows the full complement of what she can do. And same with Kutalaba, who did this camp at at Extreme Couture, you saw Eric Nixick in his corner, maybe working with a more experienced team and with a coach like that and with training partners that are available to him there to kind of, because he didn't look as wild tonight. He didn't look as rambunctious as he usually does. It was a lot more measured. He does have those things like Brendan Fitzgerald and, and Michael Bisping on the call kind of marveled at his hips and at some of his takedown defense. He does have that. He does have a Very bit athletic. of a wrestling background. Yeah, Very athletic cool. dude and a ton of power. Lord. And he's still only 27. Mm. And so you figure some of this stuff out. You look at 
kind of the slate he's fought. It's been a trial by fire because that's what happens in the light heavyweight division is you win a fight and then you face somebody that's way above your league. And then you lose that and fight somebody back down where you should be. And so I wonder if each of them are, are going to maybe put together a little bit of a, an improvement here, a little bit of an improved stretch and, and some better results going forward now that they're settled in and, and working with teams that can help them harness those best abilities that they have and kind of play to their strengths a little more. Yeah, 100%. I think, and like, as I said, I think Bottom could do it. I think Bottom really could. Yep. Um, let's talk about the, the main event. First of all, actually, right, this was one of these cards that we didn't do the podcast last week because we the two of us did the podcast, you know, we did the, <laughs> so we didn't do a proper preview of this anywhere really because I didn't do the Q&A either. So this card was literally, I was watching it for like, oh, that fight is on, oh, that, you know, so I was kind of surprised watching it. Um, and uh, what was the, was there beef between Span and Smith before? It seems like afterwards we we get to what happened afterwards. But what was the beef coming in? It seemed like there was there was something between these guys. What, was there something, or was did anyone know about it? Or what was the crack? So I mean, I think Anthony Smith is sort of in a position right now where he's tired of fighting these dudes that are on the come up and being being the veteran guy that gets put in there against the guy that maybe the UFC would really like to see win a fight over a guy like Anthony Smith. Yeah. So we had Jimmy Crute last time. Mm-hmm. He gets Ryan Spann this time. And there's a lot of talk about, oh, Ryan Spann, look at look at what he's done. And, and I mean, in the preview videos and, and preview pieces that the UFC did, there's Anthony Smith staring dead into the, into the camera saying, I've fought a lot of Ryan Spans before. <laughs> and so I think he's just kind of a little bit like, hey, everybody, like, yeah, I lost a couple of fights. And yeah, I had a couple bad moments, but look at who that's to stop giving me these guys because I'm going to destroy them. I think there was a little, little bit of being pissed off with this for him because Ryan Spann's a good dude. Who's, who's not going to talk a lot of trash who just wants to go out there and, and handle his business. But I mean, you even saw the look on, on Anthony Smith's face when Ryan Spann carried him into his corner. That was it was just the like, incredible. Oh, oh, I'm going to make you pay for this. Oh, shit. it was incredible. Like you're, you're going to pull this. <laughs> I am going to get up and beat the brakes off of you. And that's exactly what happened. I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like that. In MMA. <laughs> it was one of the, it was one of the most like cocky, like, yeah, it was almost, he got offended by him. You know? It was like, yeah, ah, are you, you're not doing this to me. Really? Well, I, I, it, <laughs> it didn't make sense to me in the moment because no, like Ryan Spann landed a good shot I did. and you get in on his hips and you get in on his waist, use that. And I understand you want to be in your corner and have the general barking at you and telling you exactly what to do and walking you through it. But that also gave Ryan or Anthony Smith a little bit of time to recover, a little bit of opportunity to, to think through what, you know, what's coming, what's coming next, what's going to transpire here. And, and I mean, we saw how it played out, right? Like he got yeah. up to his, he got up to his feet and won just about every minute after that. It's it's funny. I was talking this week about experience. I wanted a podcast yeah. and how how um, important experience is in, in mixed martial arts. And I feel like an inexperienced fighter wouldn't have done what Anthony Smith did there. And like it wasn't just the, the look on his face, which was absolutely crazy, but it was the. the relaxation he had in that moment where he didn't get slammed and he didn't get smashed down but he was still he kind of knew what was going to happen he was so in control of that situation even though he was totally out of control of the situation right. if that makes any sense and i think yeah. like coming up to that before i don't know how long it was it felt like it felt like it was two or three minutes into the fight but it wasn't because the fight only went to like two two and a quarter minutes or whatever it is it felt like um 
Span was better than him, I thought. Like, it's a fa- Span was landing good shots. He, the way he picked them up, he looked like a better athlete. He just looked stronger than him. But Smith, uh, in that moment, he was just like, nah, nah, hold on. Let me let me just get warmed up a little bit. And then he just started throwing shots. And he just took it away from him. Like, the look on his face. And he, he almost had to do what he did after that. Almost KO'd him <laughs> with, a, with a left hook. Uh, and then hurt him again. Got the fight to the ground and got the, the rear naked choke. Like, Anthony Smith is one of these guys that... I find it hard to know how how good he is. Like, because... We have this level, it's funny, and we'll talk about Joseph Benavides in a while, but we have this level of fighter at the very top of the division where he had, you know, John Jones there for a good while and fought John Jones and everything like that. And it's hard to gauge, you know, say if John Jones is 100, are you 90 or are you 50? Because, you know, right. it's, 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 hard to, it's hard to tell. And I feel like Anthony Smith is a better fighter than I thought maybe he was, or maybe has improved, and maybe it is the you know the fifty fights odd that he's had in his career uh, have just brought him on and brought him to this next level. But like we we look at the fight title fight coming up, what it wins is in three weeks time or so. Uh, Blahovich uh, is uh, is fighting Glover Teixeira, obviously two kind of old gritty veterans, and you know we're talking about Kujalaba, who I think could do with a bit of the old man grit in him, yes. you know, and maybe in five years Kujalaba will be a better fighter yes. than he is now. But it feels like Smith is coming into that part of his career now where. He is grizzled. He has taken those tough <laughs> shots. His chin is still there, you know, and everything like that. And he's just like kind of swatting these young guys aside, as you mentioned earlier on. And that with John Jones now gone from that division as well, he can show the level he's at. And like, uh, if you told me three or four years ago that Anthony Smith, I would be talking that Anthony Smith could be a UFC champion, I would have told you to go fuck yourself, basically. But now, right. Right. I, would, I wouldn't rule it out. Would, would you? No, I, I wouldn't. And I mean, he, he called out Alexander Rakic after the fight and apparently Rakic said, I'm free in December, so we're going to get that rematch, which feels hasty and unnecessary, but sure, let's do it because there's no need for Alexander Rakic to be sitting around not fighting anybody. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm a, little, I'm a little worried about the way Anthony Smith takes shots right now. I think in the Devin Clark fight and this fight tonight, those those first shots he kind of turns away and i don't know if it's that they sting him or that he's just trying to avoid protracted extra exchanges like if he's just trying to kind of keep himself out of getting into those dog fights that he likes getting into but i mean you see that experience shine through right and and ryan's ryan span i think still is a guy that can put it together that has to learn some of that calm you talked about that Anthony Smith exhibited when he's getting carried across the cage and he knows he's going to get deposited on the on the ground and have to figure out how to get back to his feet against this guy that has very good jujitsu and is a great big human being that's that's trying to stop him. And so it's it's such an it's one of those things that we just can't quantify truly because for every fighter like Ryan Spann that clearly still needs some more of this top end experience or a guy like Anthony Smith, who is now showing that that wealth of experience is paying dividends. You have the odd guy like Alexander Rakic, for instance, who probably should be unbeaten in the UFC still, because I think he beat Volkan Ozdemir. And you have some of these younger fight, you know, you have a Kamaru Usman who didn't need any experience. He's just really damn good. 
And he's just gone out and put it on people and, and won 14 straight fights in the UFC. But for the most part, it is the deciding factor. And in, in breaking down that fight and picking that fight on the newsletter this week, that was the thing I said. Like, I think Ryan Spann can get there. But right now, Anthony Smith is a guy that he's not ready to beat. And and we saw that on Saturday. Yeah, I, I would. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with that. Like, it just, I, funny, I made the graphic for the podcast before the fight. And I, I put Anthony Smith on it, you know, and I usually, <laughs> I usually put the winning fighter on it. And I was like, well, I, I was like, well, maybe I'll have to edit that out afterwards or whatever. But, you know, it was, uh, I just, it felt like a fight he was going to win without, you know, yep. looking into it that much or spending too much time on it. But um, what, like, after what happened afterwards? It was it was a classy display by Anthony Smith in the cage. And what happened directly afterwards, I thought was <laughs> not that classy. Like Anthony Smith is this is a weird guy because I don't know him that well and have no, never spoken to Anthony Smith and I would never have known anything about Anthony Smith apart from like the last few years where he's been getting into media and stuff. Um, and you know he seems you know he looks like a geography teacher and he just but he did then he's like this <laughs> this rough guy who like fucking curses at people and is always fighting and all and um, what he did afterwards I just couldn't believe it and I, maybe it's me I have a bit of a uh, you know, I don't get offended by much now. Let, let's put it that way. But I, I right. hate when fights are over. And, like, I hated it with McGregor and Poirier as well. And I criticize both of them. People give it out to me for criticizing both of them. But I don't like when anyone does it. When it's like the fight's over. You had the fight. We settled it in the cage. Unless it's some big fucking beef, you know. But this right. was no big beef here, but really. No, let's be th- honest. Th- this was, I, you know, you said you were going to beat me or whatever, whatever. You thought I was going to be a stepping stone and... You know, like we talked about earlier, Anthony Smith just kind of wanted, I mean, his entire post-fight interview was bleeped out for censors because, you know, after watching the grown men beat the hell out of each other, we can't hear a few curse words. Yeah. But it was, it was the same thing. It was like 2 a.m. here, so I was fine. (laughs) He he just wants, he, I understand in the moment being heated and, and feeling like you're being disrespected a little bit, whether it's by fans, media, your opponent, but like, as you said, you're in there, you settled it, you got the victory. There's no need, like, there's no need for talking now. It's, and I mean, look, not to bring this into YouTube boxing, but it's Tyron Woodley running around this week saying, just let me get this rematch so I can give this man all the smoke. You had your opportunity, dude. Yeah, absolutely. You had whatever it was, eight rounds, 10 rounds to try to put it on this dude, and you didn't. You don't get to come out here now and be like, let me one more time and you'll see. No, it's over. Just let it go. <laughs> Anthony Smith, you won. You're oh getting your hand raised. You're getting two, you're getting two checks. Yeah. You're getting all the love and admiration that you rightfully deserve. You've now won three straight. Move on with it, bro. Like just it's okay. You don't have to be so so angry about things. Yeah. Don't be hurt, bro. Don't be, don't be hurt. Yeah, yeah, meditate. Uh, it was just meditate. so weird. It was so weird. I, I was just like, ah, uh, he kind of ruined yeah. it on himself because it was such a great right. performance. Yeah. But that, yeah. Ra- that Rackage fight, you know, thinking about it there, it's funny. Uh, I, I spent like two minutes saying that I think Anthony Smith could be a UFC ta- champion. Now I'd probably say like Rackage will probably beat him. But like, you know, I mean, uh, he's a good I, fighter. I just, I just hope it's better than the last one. Yeah. Like Rackage. they fought last. They fought last summer, and I, I talked to Rakic beforehand. I've talked to him throughout his career. That was a big moment for him. He was really jazzed up about headlining, about fighting a guy like Anthony Smith, who had been in that contender, in that title range, and really, really wanted to go out and just get that win 
as a matter of having that win on his resume. And that's really what he did, right? He went out, he wrestled for, for three rounds. I think it was a short notice main event, which is why it was only a three round main event. I really, I really hope we see a more entertaining, a more sort of active fight from both men that time around. I, I feel like Smith will draw it out of him, though. You know, I, I think it's hard to have a boring fight against Smith unless you wrestle him and pull him down for the full fight. I think so. Yeah, it should be, it should be fun anyway. Um, right, before we, uh, we we go and before we hand it over to me and Graham, this is going to be like a two-hour podcast, so fair play to everyone. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, I want to talk a little <laughs> bit about Joseph Benavidez and uh, and Carlos Condit. Uh, we t- we talked a bit on the, on Patreon about it, for, but for those who haven't heard it, uh, or you know, to get Spencer's uh, thoughts in as well, because you've obviously you know spoken to the guys before. I've never spoken about my my thoughts on on Benavides, First of all, right, I think he is one of those guys where he his ability and the place he had in his division in MMA will be sorely misrepresented forever you know and it, i i tweeted out and i i don't think anyone like agreed with me baby but i would put him on the same place as a daniel cormier in the history of mma i think he was the second best fighter in one division for years and years and years to behind one of the greatest fighters of all time and then he was in another division and if things <laughs> right. had gone better for him he could have been a champion there too if Demetrius Johnson had gone away to uh, to tour to one championship or where's one championship, yeah, a little bit earlier, you know, Pinavides could have been champion, or if he's you know crashed the car or failed the drug test or something like that, you know, which yeah. Demetrius Johnson, being the legend that he is, wouldn't do, but he would have been a champion, you know. And it was Daniel Cormier. A lot of people say he's unlucky in his career. He might be one of the luckiest people of all time. He won championship belts in two divisions, and he was, you know, I think most people would agree he was never the best fighter in any division he was in. But like, we'll still go down as a great fighter, an all-time great. But for me, just and this isn't to, to pull away from Daniel Cormier or anything like that. This isn't to take away from him. This is actually to lift up Joseph Benavidez. Right. I think he was at the same level, even a better level to me, because he. I think Demetrius Shanson was a better fighter than John Jones at a better, higher level. And Benavidez, you know, we talked about the 100 versus 90 versus 50. If Demetrius right. Shanson is 100, I think Joseph Benavidez is 90. And 90 to that 100 is, yeah. is a very, very different 90 to another 100 in another division. He um, might actually be 95. Yeah. Uh, he's a he was a great fighter. Now he didn't have it all, you know. His his boxing could have maybe been improved a little bit, but his jujitsu and his wrestling, and you know, even he has knockouts. He's he's he could hit hard as well. Um, but he was a great fighter, a really really gro- good fighter. And by the time you know his next opportunity came, he uh, he was a little bit maybe too old for the division that passed him on a little bit maybe. I also think, and I I get throw it over to you on your thoughts after. That third fight against Demetrius Johnson should have happened, and it should have happened way earlier than he got the uh, Davidson Figueredo fight. He deserved that fight. He had won six fucking fights, seven fights in a row, whatever it was. <laughs> he absolutely deserved that fight. Should have gotten it. And maybe now we'd be talking about a former champion retiring uh, if he had. I don't think so. To be honest, I think Demetrius Johnson would have won, but he deserved it. He earned it, uh, and he was a, a very, very good fighter. What, what are your thoughts on Joseph Benavides? I'm sure at some point. Along my 12 years and counting now in this sport, I have written a best fighter to never win UFC gold list somewhere, probably a slideshow for some site when slideshows were still a thing. And now that I'm older, I absolutely hate them because I hate that designation because I think it just, as you said, takes away from and sort of diminishes the greatness that these guys had. And and Joe, to me, he's obviously someone that I know personally, I've gotten to know um over the years covering this sport 
having started out my career working alongside his wife, Megan Olivi, um, and knowing both of them quite well, he was the second best fighter in two weight classes for about a decade. Yeah, 100%. Uh, be, behind absolute legends, behind Dominic Cruz, for the longest time, his career, he was 25 and four where his two career, where his four career losses were two to Dominic Cruz and two to Demetrius Johnson. And three of those were title fights. Like you don't get much better than that. Like, I'm sorry. There's just like, if, and if the thing you want to hold him to is, well, he never won a belt again. There's a lot of really goddamn good fighters that never win belts, just as there are terrific sports teams and, you know, individual players in those sports that never win titles. It can't just be rings or nothing, titles or nothing, because it diminishes what these men and women do. And I think Joe is a great example of that. I agree with you 100% on a third fight with DJ. I think he was just a little bit, you know, he was he was eight months out of the cage when he gets the first fight with Figueredo last year. Coming off a, a good performance the summer before against Juicy Formiga, who's another guy in that group that just never quite got there, but was absolutely terrific for a long, long time. And I think he's just, as you said, a, a little bit past this prime, a little bit behind the game where, where guys like Figueredo and Askar Askarov have passed him by. And, and the little, the little things that make such a big difference at that level, when we're in those eighties, nineties, hundreds levels of fighters, but I mean, to, to me, Joe is one of those guys that I don't care what the end of the, the career looks like in terms of the results. I saw his prime. I saw WEC through to UFC, saw the heartbreak. I saw the, the comeback. I saw the resilience. That guy's a Hall of Famer, and he is one of the best bantamweights and flyweights that I've seen fight in the last decade. That is that is beautifully put, and uh, I can't put it better myself. For, for <laughs> Carlos Condit, like Carlos Condit was, uh, it's funny because he got the gold. You know, he got the interim championship. But it's funny because Carlos Condit, right? Thirty-two wins, twenty-eight of them inside the distance. That's what Carlos <laughs> Condit is, right? And you would yeah. think winning a championship or an interim championship would be the crowning glory, maybe of his career. But the one fight people think of where Carlos Condit was boring is that fight against <laughs> Nick Diaz where he got that crowning glory in his career, even though he's one of the most exciting fighters in the history of the UFC. Now, I have to say that because that's incorrect, right? Carlos Condit, knockouts of Dan Hardy, unbelievable comeback against Rory McDonald, you know, beating uh, Martin Campman, beating Tiago Alves, coming off of a fucking torn right. ACL. Uh, right. You know, beating John Alessio, Jake Ellenberger, when he was a very, very good fighter, Dong Young Kim. This guy was legit, and he even came back, you know, he lost those five fights in his career, and he had two very good wins against Court McGee and Matt Brown, and had a good performance against Max Griffin as well, and I think it's a good time for him to retire. Now, also, we must say, both of these guys will probably be back in Luke Sanders as well. No one actually retires in MMA, so let's, let's just put that <laughs> out there. But anyway, we leave that for a side for a second, but... I, I like to pay homage to both of these guys I think is important too and you know we won't go too far into the MMA retirement thing but Carlos Condit if you started watching MMA in 2000 and, geez, 2012 it's nine years ago now at this stage but yeah. maybe you would not respect Carlos Condit as more as much as someone who maybe started watching in 2006 or 2007 or even 2009 when he won all those fights just a legend of the game really and, and an exciting fighter and one of those guys where 
you know, I don't think he will be in a UFC Hall of Fame, but I feel like a UFC Hall of Fame or an MMA Hall of Fame should have guys like Condit in it and should have guys yeah. like Diego Sanchez in it. MMA is as much about entertainment and excitement as it is about winning championships. And I don't really understand Hall of Fames because I'm not American, you know. But right. <laughs> if I was to make one and it was an MMA one, I, I think guys like Carlos Condit should be in it. And look, he won enough fights maybe to, to, to warrant it anyway. I don't know. I'm not sure the, of the, uh, the stipulations. But what a fighter. What a legend Carlos Condit was. I mean, absolutely. And I agree if there was a, an impartial or a, or an actual kind of nonprofit organization hall of fame that Carlos Condit is in it. I mean, he's a guy that should have won the welterweight title. Like I still, to this day, I watched it back. I got asked to write a piece on his retirement for UFC.com this week and, and absolutely enjoyed doing it because I hate that he's a guy that's going to be remembered for, for coming up just short in that fight with Robbie Lawler. What a when, fight. Or, or have to spend years, as he's already spent years, listening to Diaz loyalists say Diaz won two and five forever and ever and ever when Carlos Condit quite clearly won that fight. And I will take that. Or I will make, I will have that fight till I am old and dying. Anybody that wants to argue it, get at me. My DMs are open. You can find me on Twitter. Let's argue. This might, be, uh, this might be the perfect week to do the rewatch of Carlos <laughs> Condit versus Nick Diaz. Yeah, I might have yeah, to do that. Absolutely. And how, I mean, I think you tweeted it out that night, right? How fitting that he retires like <laughs> eight days before Nick Diaz returns. One, one week, yes. two days, five hours, one, two, five. There. That was exactly the, <laughs> the thing that's wild to me, and, and look, I'm not trying to start beef. I'm not trying to fight with anybody, and I'm not trying to punch up. I read Ariel's newsletter when Carlos Condit retired and he said something along the lines of who's going to remember these guys. Who's going to kind of tell the new generation, as you said, people that came in in 2012 have like, if you started watching MMA at the start outset of 2012, Carlos Condit has five wins and a truckload of losses. He's yeah. got five wins and nine losses. And you think, what are all of these old dudes mm -hmm. screaming about this guy? It's super true. excited about. Yeah. And Ariel said, who, like, who's going to carry on their legacy? Who's going to tell people about them? Is it going to be the media? I'm not sure. Yeah, it's going to be us. That's I, our job. I, I, I replied, I replied, we will. Like, are we, the, we doing the reason I know about mm -hmm. baseball players from 30, 40, 50 years before I was born is because my father told me about these great baseball players of his youth. And I went back and I, and like, not everybody's going to go back and research and learn and watch old stuff. But if ever was ever, there was a time where you're able to, it's right now where we could stream literally every fight this dude has had for the last like 15 years. Cause the entire WEC catalog and the whole of the UFC catalog is there. And so, yeah, it's on us to every time somebody says, what was the big deal about Carlos Condit? Sit them down and say, well, let me tell you, young fella, here's the thing about Carlos Condit. He was goddamn awesome. Brilliant. Every time he fought, it was goddamn amazing. Because he, like, if ever there was somebody that embodied his nickname through and through, it's that dude. Because I was at that fight in Vancouver against Rory McDonald, where he had no business coming back and beating Rory McDonald. Rory McDonald sitting there watching it, thinking this 21 year old kid is going to beat a former WEC champion at home in his second UFC fight. This is insane. And oh yeah, I write for a newspaper in town. So I get to cover this guy for the rest of my life. And it's going to be amazing. And Carlos Condit just came out and was like, nah, not today, kid. 
This ain't happening. I'm just going to put it on you like nobody has before. And that place went dead quiet when that stoppage happened. They instantly started booing because it was like seven seconds left in the fight. And they were pissed off at my friend Kevin Dornan for stopping that fight. But like, that's the stuff that we have to, we have to, it is our obligation as media. And I don't know if other people agree with me. I don't know if anyone will agree with me, but I will try to do it as best I can for as long as I am still in this to pay respect to these people that came before that people don't know because otherwise they get lost to history. And that's not what Carlos Condit deserves. Yeah, Like Rampage Jackson being on Ariel's show and saying like, people forget about me. That's our fault, man. We need to talk. Like we all love the Rampage Arona powerbomb. We need to keep talking about it. We need to reference these people. We need to start covering some of these veterans and talking about some of these things from history instead of so much of this social media bullshit that we cover every day about Conor McGregor throwing drinks and getting in fights <laughs> with pop stars that nobody gives a shit about. Yeah. I agree. But like, I could not agree know, more. Like, I, I love the way someone someone else is on the same page as me. Uh, I, I think I, that was just me. I derail, your, I derail your podcast. No, I love it. I we love might it. have to just tape one of these where you and I just go yeah, in about like we need a three-hour podcast. But come here to me. We, we have... Yeah. We have <laughs> on Patreon, we've been trying to do it, and even like so, like say someone like I'm in, uh, I'm in. sign me up. Let's <laughs> let's do one this week. <laughs> I, I like it. We have been doing um, like career retrospectives, and we like we did one. Yeah. We did one kind of a Nick, Nick Diaz here recently, but like even guys like say um, uh, a Bass Rutten who would have been before my time. You know, I would have only been yes. fucking twelve years old when Bass Rutten was kind of coming up in these primates. Right, but I like went back and watched six or seven or eight of Bass Rutten fights. And that's, as you said, fight pass is there. It's open to anyone to do that. But I feel like, you know, me and you and like Ariel should do a show like that if he's like, if he wants to, to keep up like that. And, and this is not me calling Ariel out or anything. I, I love no, Ariel. For like, sure. great time for it. But if he wants Agreed. to do that, everyone, I want to do that. Everyone should want to do that. I like when I came into MMA and started watching it first, Rampage, what, like Rampage was my guy. I And I, it hurts 100%. me to this day that he has me blocked on Twitter. It's the only one I actually <laughs> care about because I tweeted a joke at him once that no one watched his show or something i'm like i feel bad about it and this is back in my fandom days this is before my i feel so bad if anyone knows rampage time to unblock me but anyway i loved him like he was so funny and you know he that look in, now half the stuff you wouldn't get away with today don't get me wrong yeah it was just it's, so funny it's and just so fighter. wild to me that there's so much hand-wringing about what doesn't get done and uh and it's all the us it's all the ufc's fault yeah, it's all it. the promoter's fault like mm-hmm we're capable we're we're able to do this we know the people that deserve to be celebrated and the people that deserve to be talked about or need to be talked about never mind deserve the people that were great as you said yeah do a do a retrospective like just randomly on the anniversary of one of these big fights or one of these big moments for one of these guys that we all say has been lost to history stand up step out and tell people their history because part of our job as people that chronicle this fight, or I think, and maybe again, I'm fairly alone in this, but I think part of our job is to tell this history. It's not just to cover the here and now and the stuff that generates traffic. And yes, that is absolutely part of the job. And I understand all of our brothers and sisters that are stuck to, to managing traffic demands that I thankfully do not have to and haven't ever had to worry about. But Jesus Christ, if I hear another person complain about how these people don't get celebrated and nobody does it themselves, it's just, it they're incongruous to me 
God bless Pizzi. He said it's earlier this week. He said, you know, the job is to cover everything good or bad when they were covering that fucking Holyfield fight. I disagree. I disagree. We all get to make choices. And I understand that there are choices that have to be made and you get told to go cover that thing. And yes, they rallied against it and they pushed back against it and said it shouldn't have been happening. But Christ almighty, we can just decide not to cover this junk and cover the stuff that we all get on Twitter every goddamn fight night talking about needing to be covered more and blaming somebody else for yeah. not covering it. And, you and know saying, where's the UFC not doing this? How come they haven't said goodbye to Junior DeSantos and yeah. Alistair Overeem and all of these other people that were released or retired or whatever? Like, we can do it. It's not just always up to somebody else. And two things I will say on that. You know, <laughs> some people, you know, people might say, oh, well, you have to cover this job. I didn't cover it. Like, no, it's you don't. Nowhere. You just don't. It's nowhere. You just don't. The, you said more about it there in the last minute than I've said about it in the last two weeks. I don't cover. And also, I, if I, I, I'm getting it out now because I did. <laughs> I deleted two different posts this week. That's all right. If, if, you, if you notice that, if you notice the newsletter was a little light this week, folks that are subscribers, <laughs> well, that's what it was. it's because I hit delete post <laughs> on two very long, angry rants uh, and instead went for a sensory deprivation float on Monday <laughs> and worked out on my heavy bag on Tuesday. Uh, that was <laughs> but anyway if anyone wants to make those podcasts i'm yes. here i could do with yeah. some work I'm I'm i will edit podcast I'm I, but I, like if anyone wants to pay me to do <laughs> let's be yeah. honest I'm, I'm, I'm i could do it for you no problem so if, if you if you think you can't do it, if there's an opportunity out there come to me i will help but anyway yeah eff it i'll do it for free i oh, love sweet. i'm i'm maniacal about this beautiful and i'm i just i'm i'm in my old age or older age, I'm getting tired of hearing a lot of people blame everybody else and, and push the responsibility to everybody else. When we all have platforms, we all have opportunities. We all have the knowledge too. And we could probably do like, look, we could probably do it better than the UFC would because we're not by whatever that relationship is. And so we're all capable of going out there and, and putting this stuff together for these men and women That's that true. deserve these moments. And so in, instead of always finding a reason to like, look, as I said, we all have stuff that we have to cover that we maybe don't want to cover that, you know, bosses, websites, whoever it may be say, yep, you got to go cover that farce down in Florida that everybody covered or, or lots of people covered and want to talk about. But if you got time for that, find time for some of this stuff that you're saying doesn't get done enough because just constantly putting it off onto somebody else and here's the crazy thing. There's probably somebody else that's already done it. They just don't have a big enough platform that it's gotten out there and gotten to people. So if you, you do see it, you do find it, put it out there, get it out there in front of people so that we don't constantly just sit here and go, oh man, it really would be nice if somebody would do it. Hey, Evander Holyfield's boxing. Like, yeah. Fuck him. Fuck, him. fuck him. Come on. Don't mind him. Don't mind him. Look, we have to end it there, Spencer. <laughs> this is the this is literally going to be the longest severe my podcast ever. Wonderful. Also, if you're listening to this, uh, anyone on YouTube, I'm going to have to put this up as two parts because it's too long. <laughs> so go <laughs> click on the other one. The UFC 266 preview uh, will be up uh, on YouTube as well, probably at around the same time. But if you're listening, continue to listen because I have now Graham with me to preview UFC 266. Spencer, thank you very much. This portion of the podcast is brought to you by BetUS, which is open to all of our listeners in the US and Canada. Uh, so the sports betting season is in full force with obviously MMA, NHL, NBA and all that. Uh, 
fast approaching. I saw the NFL started last week as well. So you need a sports yeah, book. Minnesota Vikings are already losing in overtime. <laughs> They're in a spectacular league as usual. Yeah, I heard my Green Bay Packers are as well, although I haven't been following much. Well, that one, uh, hammering, yeah, they got a real hammering. But uh, yeah. the Vikings like to lose just about, you know, just to give you that hope until the last yeah, second. They, I know, I know that. I think one of us know that throughout our years of sport, uh, sports fandom. But anyway, the integrity uh, of uh, the sports book like BetUS is where you should go. You may already know this, but BetUS has been pioneers in the sports book industry for almost three decades, thriving and paying their loyal customer base. It's BetUS.com and they have loads of bonuses. Join now or call 800-69-BETUS. That is 800-MY-BETUS. You'll receive 125% sign-up bonus by using the code SEVEREMMA or if you go to SEVEREMMA.com forward slash BETUS, it'll take you right there as well. They have re-up and referral bonuses also. BetUS is known as America's favourite sportsbook for a lot of reasons. Uh, BetUS has you covered for, as I mentioned, for NBA, NHL, uh, team and player props, uh, loads of NFL futures and NFL uh, odds as well. Uh, they're already up and you can bet with UFC matches, you can bet Bellator, you can bet the, the golf. I know the Ryder Cup is coming up and I'm sure they'll have be all over that. You can do live betting in, in play and all that, more, more sports. Uh, you can do... Um, the casino and you could do the race book and all of that so they have every type of bet imaginable and the sharp bet is to bet with bet us uh so follow my lead and get to your phone online and socials uh start betting with uh the betting partner that has integrity and longevity uh bet us you bet you win you get paid use the promo code severe and may go to severe forward slash Bet US. Bet with the three decade leader. Bet US. Right, Graham. UFC 266 this week. We'll be uh, doing our betting show during the week as well. We also brought to you by Bet US and it'll be free for everyone this week. Thanks to our, our friends over at Bet US. And bet responsibly as well, as we always, you know, as we always say on the, on the betting show. Um, yeah, never bet what you can't afford to lose. Exactly. 100%. Keep, it, keep it fun. Keep yeah, it fun. 100%. 100%. Um, but this UFC two six six card, I I uh, I won't lie, I did a load of uh, of tape study for this. You know, the the I haven't been doing as much of it lately, uh, to be honest. But I watched a lot of fights for the. Or were, were you trying to figure out who the people on the prelims are? <laughs> yeah, well, no, honestly, I did it mostly for the top two slash three fights because, like the, the prelims these days. I, I, look, I I think actually the prelims is funny because we see them more often. Lots of guys like Dash Philly, we've seen a lot of him over the last while, and Marice, we've seen a lot of him over the last while, and Blades and Rosenstruck. It's like, and even if there's like six or eight months between their fights, it's like, well, it's pretty, it's pretty fresh in the mind. And with a card like this as well, especially, I think. There are names on it that we kind of know. You know, a lot of these undercards, like you wouldn't have an Ashfield, you wouldn't have a Marais, you wouldn't have an Andraj, you wouldn't have even a, a, a Durahimov who, like, you know, he's fought in a few main events and stuff, or Roxanne Mataferi. Like, it's it, it has a lot of known entities, I feel like, in this card, and especially, uh, especially yeah, the, the top Yeah, I agree two. with you, but I think it has maybe three, four fights too many. You know what I mean? Yeah, it does. Just like having 14, 15 fights, I don't think it's necessary. Um, I don't know. I don't know why like obviously they're trying to fill tv time and stuff but you know these cards would would feel much less like a drag and you know uh, i don't know i just i i think 10 or 11 is is pretty perfect but these 14 15 fight cards with the first couple of fights with guys that you don't really know i, I don't know i i preferred back in the day when the ufc was stacked top to bottom but 
yeah, like even, you know, we have a lot of Dana White contender series shows these days in terms of us on Saturday nights, you know, even if they could do where the, the pay-per-views didn't have those unnecessary fights and like, you're, you're, I know they want to get people into the pay-per-views, but they have, like, if you look at this card, they have pe- fights to get people into the pay-per-views. I know Dan Hooker, I don't know actually if that fight is happening yet, because he's still looking for his visa and everything. Maybe overnight here, recording this in the morning. Maybe that is, uh, maybe that's been started. And it's actually a day early as well, so hopefully it will have been started uh, by then. But even, like, if Maurice versus Dash Philly was number one uh, on it, which I, I think it is at, actually at the moment, but, you know, there's, there are some good fights, and even if you needed to move one down or, or change it or anything to get people in, there's there are lots of fights there and you don't need you know you don't need those other ones and I know the UFC has so many fighters now and so many gaps to fill but I think it's funny like Dana White to, and you know this is a discussion maybe for another day but Dana White talked about like getting as many guys as he can on the roster you know so um, so that fa- spots can be filled because of the pandemic and because people are it's hard to, harder to get people to fight now but he's what he's had and what he's come up with is actually more fighters than he actually needs like look at this card. This is a fan-fucking-tastic card. And there's, like, probably a couple of fighters on it <laughs> on the underneath that you don't really need on the card. Like, the, uh, the, the set of fight between Euros Medic, who's a good fighter, and Jalen Turner as well. That probably doesn't need to be on it. You know, Schmelisberger versus Sano probably doesn't need to be on it. And you could probably say maybe one or two more as well. Now, I'm not saying anything bad about those fighters or anything like that. But I, I think them being on another card... And this one being shorter would probably benefit everyone. But however, let's let's get to the main event because that's the really one I want to talk about. And I watched a good bit of Volkanovski and a good bit of Ortega last night. And um, I, you know, one thing I thought in the Ortega versus the Korean Zombie fight, which is the fight he came back, you know, where he was bald and he was this newfound striker and everything. Um, after watching Volkanovski, so I watched the Volkanovski fights first. I watched him against Chad Mendes, and I watched him against Holloway for uh, three or four rounds of that fight, of, of each of the fights. And I j- just watching Ortega, he didn't look as good, I think, as I'd probably, as if I, maybe if I'd watched Ortega first. Ortega or, 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 Ortega. I think if I'd watched Ortega first, I would have thought he looked brilliant. But after watching Volkanovski, I was like, mm, he's actually not, he's good, don't get me wrong, and he looked better than ever. But, Come putting him up against Volkanovski, I just he didn't look as as fluid in his movement. Now he looked sharp and he looked technically very good and he looked you know he looked big and long and to do that to the Korean zombie is very very tough. But it was more of like a, a methodical kind of slow picking apart than what Volkanovski does. He does it like at full pace in terms of maybe not full pace in terms of throwing shots and everything, but moved his movement and just his ability to to avoid stuff like. Uh, and and look that that's bringing down Ortega maybe a little bit there, but I think Falkanovski is just so good. Like watching him, I I don't know whether whether you would agree or not, or whether people would agree with me listening to this, but um, uh, watching the Chad Mendes fight maybe would disagree with it definitely, but watching the Max Holloway fights. I feel like Volkanovski is like a modern-day defensive fighter, and I don't mean that in any bad way whatsoever. Like, Dominic Cruz, I think, was a very good defensive fighter, and we've spoken about that before, while also being, you know, exciting and a brilliant fighter. I think... 
I think Volkanovski builds his whole game on not being hit, which is a you know a smart way to do it. But I think like his you see someone like an Adesanya who's obviously in the in the same gym and everything, and his feints and his movement are all down to kind of get a guy to move so he can he can counter him, but also to bamboozle him into not hitting him. I think Volkanovski is almost totally to bamboozle him into not hitting him because he doesn't set up his shots as much with the feints as someone like Adesanya does. He actually he actually just comes in and throws his shots when he's throwing them or counters someone. But when someone is like uh, up against him and look like they're going to attack, he's moving all the time and making himself such a, a what's the opposite of static, like on uh, you know a moving target. That it's so fucking hard to hit. It's actually elusive. Yeah, yeah, yeah elusive. He's he's so elusive. What, what have you thought of his game over the last while? And like watching him, yeah, a good bit of. He's such a good fighter. Like really, and it's he's, yeah, he really he's is. hard to see how good he is. Really, I think. Yeah, I, I think we, I've talked about this before. He's like kind of flying under the radar, even though he's got these huge wins and he's got the belt and uh, you know what I mean? Uh, and his performances are so good. I don't know if it's a... Uh, I, I don't think he lacks personality. Like he's maybe not be the biggest personality in... in in the sport, but I don't, I don't know what the problem is why he hasn't kind of caught on. Maybe it's you know, because Max is so liked. Yeah, but he went out there against Max, you know, and he looked phenomenal. Um, so you thought that would have kind of bit of the respect or bit of the kind of support would have rubbed off there, but it doesn't seem to have to. It doesn't seem to have. Um, yeah, I think he's, you know, he's a massively un- underrated fighter. He's he's one of the one of the best fighters uh, in the world, and you know he's never really talked about. Obviously, Brian Ortega is a very dangerous fighter, as you mentioned. He's improved on the feet. He's trying to do it a bit more on the feet, but he's obviously at his most dangerous in submissions. And Volkanovski will have to be aware of that, but I'm sure he will be. He's very uh, defensively responsible and seems to be able to stick to a game plan very well as well, which is another like you know. Uh, uh, big trait you have to have as a or most champions have anyway yeah. so yeah i think i i don't know why uh he doesn't really get the respect he deserves yeah i i would tend to agree like watching him he's such he's such a brilliant fighter now i also went back and you know i mentioned that chad mendes fight and uh, I, I was actually looking for fights where he was taken down and if he, he was taken down against chad mendes um very hard to hold down. Like he, I think he was a prop forward in rugby before, so he's he's probably good at getting out of situations like that. But I think there, if Ortega is to challenge him, like I, I think, look, on, I think on defeat, Ortega is is very good and he's jabs and he's long. The thing about Volkanovski is though as well, and I was surprised to see it last night. He actually has a longer reach than Max Holloway. He's a small, uh, you know, squat guy, but he's long arms. You can see the way he throws that left hook. Now I think Ortega probably will be a little bit longer than him but I think that's a real benefit for Volkanovski with those big long arms that actually his size doesn't hurt him as much as it would most people that size um, but I, I do think Ortega will be trying to keep him at the end of that jab in, in the fight against the Korean Zombie he was changing but he was fighting predominantly as a southpaw um, he, he did start a bit slow on that fight and I think Volkanovski maybe starts a little bit slow as well and works though into it so this could be a fight where there's you know the first couple of rounds could be very very close and you know it's one of those ones where well, yeah, it tends to happen with Volkanovski fights as well we get to the end of it and like who the fuck won that but I uh I think what the difference the difference between Volkanovski and Ortega on the feet, and I get to the ground in a second. I think Volkanovski throws like uh, 
and this is kind of going against what I said earlier, but Volkanovski throws like more technical power shots, whereas in the Korean zombie fight anyway, uh, Ortega attempted to throw like big things. You know, he was throwing spinning elbows and he was throwing front kicks up the middle. And he throws he throws things to try to knock you out in kind of a more flashy way. Whereas um, whereas Volkanovski is like that until that left hook. I keep mentioning it. It's it's really really good, and uh, I think that might be the shot for him. But uh, as I mentioned with the uh, looking for fights where he was taken down. Chad Mendes did take him down. He took the back at one stage as well. And Volkanovski, Volkanovski did do a good job of getting up. But I wonder if Ortega's wrestling is something he has worked on, like he's worked on his striking coming into the last fight. Because, you know, we look at someone like Ortega and how much he has changed between fights, between his last fight and the two fights ago and the last fight. And wondering, like, my wonder is, can he do something like that again with a different part of his game? And if he has done that with his wrestling... His jiu-jitsu is unbelievable. And, you know, we've seen uh, uh, Volkanovski. And I always, like, harken back to the Just the Habib fight. It's like, is there some sort of... Is there an area in some people's games? Like, is Volkanovski a great jiu-jitsu artist? Like, we've seen bits and pieces of it. And I'm sure he's very good, you know. But, like, I, I always wonder, is there a part lacking? Like, and I'm, uh, it's... Sometimes we were too easy to say everyone is truly well-rounded and everyone is great in every area. But Ortega is, we've seen Ortega as jiu-jitsu and his, his ability to finish there. And he is brilliant. And can Volkanovski live with that if Ortega's wrestling is improved and he can get him to the ground? Ortega, against uh, the Korean Zombie, he kept like jawing for the knee kind of as if he was going to take him down. But didn't really, maybe a couple of times. But I wonder, I wonder if he like lulls Volkanovski into a striking match. Uh, which Volkanovski wants, so he's not really lulling him into it, but you know what I mean? But, like, it is, everyone's thinking, right, this is striking, 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 and then he gets a takedown, time in the takedown. Yeah. That could well, be I think I, I think he'll need to have some success, you know, he, if he tries to lull for too long, um, yeah. Volkanovski will get into his rhythm and start picking him apart, and it'll be, there'll be no takedowns available, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, it's a tricky one, it's a tricky one, but, you know, he, he doesn't necessarily even need a takedown, we've seen him with uh, some guillotines and things like that, like, you know what I mean? Or, obviously T city uh, <laughs> triangles off his back and all, all that stuff when he first came into the UFC. So it's, 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 you know, he's definitely been working on his striking and, and if his striking's improved, it'll definitely um, improve his chances of getting in on, on takedowns. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I see Vulcan, I see having a, having a big enough striking advantage here that maybe, you know, it'll be difficult to get inside, but you know, it only takes one mistake from Volkanovski uh, to get taken down. And then, you know, we know how dangerous Brian Ortega is on the round. Yeah, hundred percent. Like Ortega is a type of guy as well. I think that he—he's as you mentioned, he's always dangerous, but he does kind of cut up and he bruises up and stuff on his face, and he takes the damage very badly. And you know, the I'm sure jiu-jitsu people will tell you, or MMA people who do jiu-jitsu will tell you, the the bloodier it gets and the sweatier it gets, the harder it is to get those submissions as well. So maybe playing the longer game isn't as uh, you know isn't as as smart, or maybe isn't the right way to go. But it's uh, I think against as you mentioned against Ortega, it's probably tough not to play the long game, you know, because he is so good. But yeah, I I do think this is going to be five rounds. To be honest, I think it's going to go to a decision now. Both guys can hit hard, and Ortega's jiu-jitsu obviously is, is elite. And if he gets that chance, I absolutely could see him submitting him without a shadow of a doubt. Uh, but I'm very interested to see what we see new from Ortega, and will it be enough? Like, if you see the their career so far, I would agree with you. I would be picking Volkanovski here, and we'll give our official picks on the, on the betting show during the week. But um, I, I just think... 
his his defensive ability is too good. I think he hits way more often with hard shots than he gets hit to hit himself. And um, you know, he's he will be even more safe, I think, and more defensive against Ortega, not to get put on the ground. You know, and uh, if he can do that, if he can stay on the feet for five rounds, I think he'll win the decision. But I definitely wouldn't be ruling Ortega out. I think it's going to be a fascinating. Um, striking battle here. I think it's going to be a fascinating technical battle and tactical battle, and maybe one that would have been better off with no fans, to be honest, because I feel like there could be a few boos here if if it goes like, you know, two rounds and neither of them have really landed anything big or there's a lot of looking at each other and stuff, which is, uh, you know, is something that's not always... I was talking to, to Harry Powell the other day about it on, on the podcast, and we were like... Um, talking about how MMA, the MMA at the top level now, or I made a point anyway, it's a little bit more boring than it was before, basically because the technique is so good and these lads have more respect for each other and boring in like a, an entertainment way, not in a, in a technically adept way. And, you know, we would like it, I'm sure all people listening to this would like it as well, but I don't think it's going to be a rock'em, sock'em, robot sort of fight. Now, maybe I'm wrong and I hope I'm wrong, but um, yeah, I, but still having said that, I think it'll be a good technical fight and I, I, do, see, uh, I do see Volkov winning, winning that one, but yeah. uh, what a fight. Another thing I think is if you look at the kind of strength of schedule that Volkanovski's been on, he, he, you know, obviously Ortega did fight Holloway, but he, he got finished in that fight. And uh, his only win since then, you know, uh, nearly three years ago, is the Korean Zombie. And obviously that's a good win, but, you know, Volkanovski's been out there beating Max Holloway twice, Jose Aldo, Mendez, you know. And, uh, so I think his strength of uh, opponent and the fact that he's been in five-round fights and gone the distance in, in three of them, or what, three of his, his last three fights... You know that he's like it is like you know Vinatega is a you know a well-rounded guy and his cardio isn't isn't a problem. But when you're going five rounds at a pace of Volkanovski, just trying to set it could become a problem. Yeah, hundred percent. And he's had a good break as well. I think like he fast. He fought uh, Max Holloway, and then six months before that, he fought Holloway again. And around six or seven months before that, he fought Aldo. And then six months before that, he fought Minda. So he's he's had fight after fight after fight. And, you know, Darren Elkins before that is never an easy fight as well. It's the who's who of the featherweight yeah. division as well. So I think, like, getting a year off, uh, you know, he's had, what is it, 14 months now b- between the, the last Max Holloway fight. Uh, and this, obviously, they were, they were supposed to fight in the middle, but they did tough and everything like that. It's it's probably not the the worst thing in the world for him, and I know that he's carrying a few injuries and stuff. But um, you know, to get that clear, to get that out the way, there might be a little bit of ring rust for both of them here. Absolutely, I wouldn't rule that out at all. But um, <clears throat> I think the break here will be good for uh, for Volkanovski because Ortega's kind of already had you know the break in his career where he came back and he looked different. But uh, yeah, look, it's it's a great fight, and I can't uh, I can't. Well, you mean the drugs ban? Oh, no. He had. Oh, okay. I, I don't mean so, the drugs, man. <laughs> no, why did? No, what, never mind. What, what did he get banned for? Was it weed or what did he do? I don't know. I can't remember. No, I think it was some kind of steroid or something. No. Was it? Oh yeah. Uh, he's fought against who, who was it? Uh, Mike De La Toro's in all contests. Is that the one? Ah, uh, sure. Look, Graham. Everyone's on steroids, as a, as a famous man once said, and which we will get to in a second. Uh, but first of all, let's talk about uh, Valentina Shevchenko versus, versus Lauren Murphy. Um, Look, it's one of these ones where, uh, 
it's hard to talk up Lauren Murphy in terms of her chances here. Look, she's a good fighter. She closes the distance well. She lands nice shots in the clinch. She's very strong. She uses her strength to get nice takedowns. She's good jiu-jitsu and ground and pound. She never stops moving on the feet. She throws lovely one-twos down through the middle. And I, I really like her left hook. But watching her and then watching Shevchenko, it's like a different a different realm of fighter altogether, just a different league of fighter completely. Like, Shevchenko does everything so much quicker. Her elbows inside in the clinch are just brilliant. She's on her toes non-stop, throwing high kicks. When did you do get inside you try to clinch with her? She just trips you and smashes your head right into the fucking canvas. And in her ground and pound is unbelievable. She has submissions as well on the ground. And I just cannot see a way that, Lauren Murphy beats her unless she slips in a banana peel or you know something mad happens there's an injury there's just yeah. very little percentage of Murphy and it's another one where you know Lauren Murphy's really tough she can take a lot of shots and keep coming forward she's never been finished but like you know that could be a problem here maybe you know uh, there, there, there might come a stage where, where the ref needs to call it off on the feet or the, the the corner needs to throw it in that's the kind of that's the, throw the towel in that's the kind of scenario I'm seeing here yeah, yeah, well, I would tend to agree. Yeah, like I think, I, uh, I think you know what I, I would agree with that. But I, I actually do think. I, I no, no, I'll, I'll save my bet for the, I'll save my bet for the, uh, for the bet job. But I, I think Shevchenko is going to finish her without too much damage. No, I'll, I'll say I think she's going to submit her. Like, cause I think Murphy will try to get the fight to the clinch. I don't. I think she's an intelligent fighter, Murphy. And I think if you're an intelligent fighter, you do not fight Valentina Shevchenko out in the open. Like Murphy's best chance here is to get her in the clinch be stronger than her and take the fight to the ground now i don't think she is stronger than her even though she is very strong but shevchenko's technique and her ability there is just too much i think she will put her on the ground and and submit her like she could ground upon her she could beat her that way but i like i I think shevchenko over the last while has has kind of she has kind of stopped giving a fuck about going long and stopped giving a fuck about like respecting these people and look Jennifer Maya came out and she put on a good a good first round against her and made her kind of respect her and that went to a decision but like she finished uh, Jessica Andrade she finished Caitlin Chu Kagan okay she went to the decision with, with Carmouche but she knocked out Jessica I she has definitely I think been up in her her kind of um, her her madness in the cage if you want to put it that way and her uh, her finish ability and I think she will see someone like Murphy and look with all due respect she's not on her level and I think Shevchenko will know that and look that's a dangerous game in MMA as well if you don't think someone is on your level but I just don't think Murphy has anything and look I could be proven completely wrong here I, I and you know I hope for Lauren Murphy's sake that, that you know that she puts up a good fight and you know if she wins she wins fair play to her she absolutely deserves it but I just it's very hard to see a way and I think for Murphy when it is hard to see a way when there's nowhere like completely dangerous for Murphy I think she will open up uh, and I think she will end up uh, end up getting the finish here uh, inside the distance but um, yeah it's look it's just another one in the leg really for uh, Valentina Shishinko that's how I'm looking at it but Murphy does deserve the fight she's got some very good wins over the last while she beat uh, Calderwood beat uh, Shakirova Madaferi Lee Borella so she's what five wins in her own now so you know you can't deny her at this stage and uh, I'm glad she's getting the shot but I uh, I don't think uh, I don't think it's going to be a successful one for her unfortunately and Irish MMA won't have another UFC champion unluckily but uh, anyway um, yeah 
Robbie Lawler, Nick Diaz, Graham. I know you're a big fan <laughs> of the, I know you're a big fan of the Diaz brothers down through the years. Are you looking forward yeah. to seeing Nick back? Yeah, it's good he got that lifetime ban for a uh, bit of weed uh, yeah. overturned. Ah, yeah, anyway. That should have been held up. That should have <laughs> been held up. Val. That demon Ooh. weed. Fuck oh, me. God. <laughs> yeah, so, like, you know, uh, I've always been a big fan of Nick Diaz and loved uh, the Diaz brothers throughout the years. But, like, you know, it's been 10. It's it, In a month's time, it'll be 10 years since Nick Diaz last won an MMA fight. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a long fucking time. Long time yeah. And okay, he he fought against Anderson Silva what nearly six and a half years ago, like seven years ago. It's a long fucking time. Um, he and he hasn't been in the gym all that time. We've seen from his if you follow him on social media, he's in and out of clubs every weekend and weekdays for for a lot of those years. Um, I think you know, obviously Robbie Lawler is not the fighter he he used to be. And obviously, um, Diaz has a win over him from a long time ago when they were both teenagers or in the very early stages of their careers. But like Robbie Lawler's on a fourth fight skid here since he beat Donald Cerrone. But he's been fighting, you know, he's been fighting high level competition. Um, I think it's hard to pick Nick Diaz in this fight. It's hard to know how he's going to look. It's his timing. Uh, you know, he's probably in great shape because like. When, when he is in camp and when he is training and doing triathlons and all that stuff, he does get into great shape. But, uh, you know, it's 10 years since your last win and you're coming in here against a guy who's like a former champion and been fighting regularly while you've been out. I think this is a very, very uh, tough ask. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. Like, the, it, I think the thing about Diaz, okay, he was partying, he was in Vegas all the time, but I also think, like, he didn't balloon up hugely as well. So I think he probably was doing, like, a little bit of training you know, maybe even on and off for a couple of weeks or a couple of months at a time over the year. So, like, if there was just a guy who was completely so was he developing his skills in the yeah. gym, the, like you know, I don't think so. That, yeah, I would. T- I would. Yeah, I would agree with that. But the the five round thing, I think, is interesting because you think a guy who's been out of the cage and fucking drinking and messing for five years or six years or whatever it was. Oh, he would have wanted that. He would have wanted that. Yeah, five but like, rounds, no yeah, doubt. but you think someone who has been doing that and you know would not want five rounds. You know, you think they'd want the shorter fight. But I mean, he must. He must know. Like these these Diaz brothers are not stupid. And he must know that he it was in some sort of shape. But also the thing about Nick is this comeback has been talked about for two years now nearly so even if he was out of shape and in terrible shape he's had a long time to get back into shape i remember those pictures came out about a year ago where he looked in phenomenal shape so you know i think he i i think we can kind of write that off a little bit in terms of like what physical state he look at but as you mentioned the technical kind of shape or the you know the game moves along very quickly it really does and as you said robbie lawler has been fighting a top level guys and i watched his last fight against neil magny yesterday and Okay, Neil Magny won the fight and he wrestled him around the place, but Robbie Lawler didn't look like shot or anything like that. He didn't look he didn't look like the old Robbie Lawler. I think the the, the prime Robbie Lawler would have beaten uh Neil Magny and beaten the, most of the other guys he fought as well. But Robbie Lawler he is not the prime Robbie Lawler, as I mentioned, but he is closer to his fighting best than Nick Diaz is like Nick Diaz is a decade out from it at least whereas Robbie Lawler was you know in that decade in 2014 I think it was he won the championship and that's okay seven years ago but he he has been fighting at a pretty high level until last year so I think you know Lawler 
is the pick here. I think you ha- you have to go with Lawler. It's just I I feel like Nick Diaz will be trying to drag Robbie Lawler five rounds and hope he tires. But Lawler over the years has shown that that's not just not the case with him. You know anymore. He went five rounds with a uh, with Colby in two thousand and nineteen. You know went all three rounds with with um with uh, Neil Magny last year as well. So it's it's not as if Robbie Lawler is uh, some spint force in terms of his his cardiovascular ability. Now he might be as he might be a championship level fighter anymore, but I, I just it's very hard for me to see, see Nick Diaz being sharp enough um technically good enough in this day and age to live with someone like Robbie Lawler who is training in Sanford MMA now as well I believe with all those killers that we mentioned in the last couple of weeks um, and I think as well if you're someone like Diaz right who hasn't really been in the gym or taking punches for the last decade and I'm sure he has been as I mentioned for the last two years but there is only so much you hear fighters talking about it all the time there's only so much you can do in the gym and having fights and being in fights is very different from that and if Robbie Lawler's coming in hitting you and Robbie Lawler you know the power is lasting to go if he hits you hard and he you know he he brings that pace onto you that that he does in terms of maybe not a pace in terms of like loads of shots like a Diaz would throw but the pace in terms of like juggernaut sort of bang 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 you know six or seven hard shots around that's a very hard thing to live with when you're not used to it in the short term. Now, Nick Diaz obviously is used to it in the long term. He's a, a legend of the sport and everything like that. But for this fight particularly, uh, it's it's going to be tough for him. But, like, two two legends, myself and Ian did a podcast over on Patreon about, uh, about Nick Diaz and kind of talked about his career and how good he was and everything like that. I just kind of hope, I hope for this fight more than anything. I'd be interested in Nick you uh, think, Graham. I hope Nick Diaz looks good. Like, I, I just... I, I don't... I hope we don't have an Evander Holyfield on our, our hands here. And I don't think we will, but Nick Diaz isn't 70 yeah. years old or anything like that. But I, I hope he looks good. Uh, I can see him starting off looking off, his timing being off, but kind of growing into the fight yeah. as, as he kind of always did anyway. Um, obviously, you know, as you mentioned, Robbie Lawler's got big power, but maybe a positive of, you know, not really fighting very much in the last 10 years is that you're... Your chin, you know, an already iron chin has had a bit of time to re- t- time to uh, rest. So, uh, yeah, um, maybe if if Diaz can make this a a high paced fight and make it a a dirty fight, he can he can turn it on late. But uh, I think it's a lot to ask, you know. Um, yeah, uh, Robbie Lawler, obviously, as I mentioned, has been. You know, even though he hasn't been winning regularly, he's been active against top guys, and his timing will be will be will, will be correct. And will Diaz, will Nick Diaz is like we kind of saw Nate uh, after a lesser timeout kind of come back, and his timing be off at the start and kind of grow into the fight. I know they're not the same guy, but they do have you know they're the nearest kind of um, yeah, absolutely similar style fighting style. Yeah. yeah, you know they kind of do a very similar thing in a lot of ways. Um, so maybe he can do the Terminator thing and and just take the shots and tire tire out Robbie and I'm sure that that'll be uh, you know he'll he'll be preparing as if he's going to go five rounds. Uh, Diaz doesn't really have the knockout power. Doesn't even really throw with knockout power. Throws with like you know seventy eighty percent or sometimes even less. So yeah, like um, maybe Nick Diaz's style isn't the worst for this kind of a layoff. 
but it's still a huge ask, I think. Yeah. Yeah, but I'm, look, I'm looking forward to it, and as I said, I just hope he looks good, and I hope we have a competitive fighter, because there'd be nothing worse than Robbie Lawler coming in and knocking Nick Diaz out after, like, two minutes when Diaz looks terrible. Like, I, that would just be very disappointing, I think, for everyone involved, but I would never, yeah. I think... I think oh, you don't know how many fights Nick Diaz has left on his contract, or have he signed a new contract or anything? I don't know, like yeah, I'm not sure. Yeah. Hard yeah. If he, if he wins here, he he'd probably end up <laughs> calling out Jake Paul going after that money. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. He could end up calling out McGregor. GSP probably. <laughs> call out. Like, no, I, I, a lot more money in, in the Jake Paul probably, probably. For, for Nick Diaz. Yeah, but we're not talking about that fucking idiot. Anyway, uh, other fights on uh, this card. Curtis Blades uh, coming off of a loss against... Uh, who did he lose against? Uh, Derek Lewis. He's fighting Jarzinho Rosenstruck. And, you know, we know what's going to happen there. Jarzinho's going to... Be trying to strike it, and uh, Blades is going to be trying to take him down. I don't think he'll be making the same mistake he made against Lewis, uh, it like giving him some time on the feet, but also diving into a takedown that Lewis had kind of set up before getting knocked out. So, uh, I, I would fancy Blades to win that one, but I, I think that's a fun fight. Uh, Andrade versus Calvillo, that's a, a big fight in that 125 pound division. I know both have had uh, you know losses there recently. Obviously, Andrade lost to uh, Shevchenko in a title fight, but. You know, if especially for Calvillo, I think if she wins this, she could be next in line. You know, there aren't that many clear contenders there. Lauren Murphy beat Jojo Calderwood in her last fight, and they were probably the two at the time. I'm sure someone else maybe has emerged or will emerge. I'm I'm not looking at it at the moment, but uh, that's you know when you ever see Andrade in a fight at 125 and, and Calvillo as well after the both of them moved divisions, it's it's always. Um, you know, it's it always has uh, title ramifications, I suppose, uh, in it. Who who do you fancy in those ground? I, I like I fancy Blades and and Andrade uh, to win that, but what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I think Blades will be able to get the the takedowns he needs, and obviously he he's a more well rounded and just an all round better fighter. And I think with Andrade, I think she's improved a lot over the years, and I think Calvillo might be a little bit overrated. Um, I think yeah, Andrade should have her have her way here with uh, with Calvillo. Yeah, I, th- I yeah, I like Calvillo, but I maybe agree. I think she's a very very good fighter, but I think Andrade is just maybe that that next level and the only one. You know, th- there's kind of a gap between one to two and then two to three and four five six seven eight nine ten in that division. Andrade to me is number two, but we we'll see. Uh, Marais against Dashvili is a very interesting fight. I feel like because. Uh, Marlon Moraes loves fighting wrestlers. He loves coming in and landing big shots and big knockout blows. But he also is the type of guy that, you know, if the fight goes against him, it'll go against him very quickly. And I feel like Moraes needs to start well here. He needs to come out and he needs to make Dash Philly pay for everything he does and, like, try to knock him out immediately. And if he doesn't, well, he doesn't. Uh, but I think Dash Philly will know that. He'll be very careful and you know i think dash philly this is a great matchup for him i think it's a very winnable fight and it's a good name and everything uh i don't believe in his skills as much as other people do i think i think when he comes up against someone very very good i think he will end up losing to them but Maurice, he might be catching him at the right time of his career. Maurice has looked a little bit gun shy recently, and if he is that again here, Dash Philly will have a very, very easy night. Uh, but I yeah, he's coming off two knockouts yeah. as well, like against him, Maurice, and uh, being gun shy, kind of, it's kind of understandable. But mm-hmm. you know, uh, yeah, I think I think it's a it's a good matchup. Like you could see it going both ways, but I do think 
uh, you know, Marais is maybe on the downturn of his career. Yeah, like a, a year ago, two years ago, I definitely would have picked Marais, but now I probably just lean for for Dash Philly. But it should be a, it's an interesting one. Um, Dan Hooker against Hackbrast in this is very interesting as well. Hopefully by the time this is released, we're recording this. I said it early, but uh, Hooker is looking for a visa at the moment. I don't know where he got it, and Hackbrast as well. Very unfortunately, his mother died over the last couple of weeks, so. It's Jesus! It's so much turmoil for both of these guys coming in here. But uh, you know, if we look at the fight by itself and leave that aside, maybe for a second, I think it's a very, very fun fight. I, I anyone listening to this podcast knows I'm a big fan of Hack Hack ability, uh, and Hooker obviously is a very, very good fighter as well. But I think this one, it's if a it big happens, step up as well, though, isn't it? It is a big step up. But it, this is this is Rock'em Sock'em Robots written all over us. I think there's blood in this fight. I think it's. Uh, long drawn out battle if it happens and uh i can't wait to see this one i, I, I my head is telling me hack Parast is gonna win but my head is off the wrong they just lean the other way slightly okay. but I, like this is this is a really tough one to pick it's you know it, it, as you said it's a step up so there is questions that need to be answered against like a an opponent like dan hooker we kind of know where dan hooker is and what he can do and we kind of we you know we're kind of waiting on Nazareth to kind of show us but he can only beat what's in front of him and he's done that but uh, I'd probably lean with the with the known quantity here slightly but I wouldn't be wouldn't be too confident. Yeah, yeah, it's a good fight anyway. And look, hopefully, it, hopefully it goes down. It should be fun. Uh, big step up as well for Chris Dawkins, who's been doing good things in the heavyweight division, fighting uh, Shamil Abdurrahim. So if he can win that, you know, he'll be on the trajectory with the likes of Tom Aspinall. I could see them meeting uh, pretty soon as well. Um, so it's it's a it's a good fight for him. And look for Shami, he's always there or thereabouts as well. So fair play to him. Um, Roxanne Mataferi back against Talia Santos. Uh, Mano Firo, who was amazingly up for like a female fighter of the year i don't know why she's a good fighter like don't get me wrong but still relatively young in her career but look 225 pound fights with the title up for grabs if someone could stand out and look at talia santos especially she's 17 and 1 now in her career fighting roxanne mataferi we know roxy you know if you get a win over her she's beating jillian robertson in her last fight beat molly mccann molly mccann very impressively before that so yeah she's a very very good fighter and uh you know she will be hoping to uh you know, hoping to take that next step, and uh, you know, same for the for the other two ladies on, on that as well. Uh, and then we the f- couple of fights you mentioned earlier, Carol Robertson. Uh, well, there's there's four more fights after that against uh, Nick uh, Maximov, uh, Medic against Turner, Schmelzberger uh, against Sano, and uh, Omar Morales against uh, Jonathan Pierce. So, uh, all in all, uh, uh, how many fights is that, Graham? That's f- 14 fights, Jesus. Yeah. That's a lot they of fights. back the, the Facebook prelims. <laughs> they want to. Fucking hell. UFC on FX. But uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's should be fun. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to Car. Also, let's mention as well, I know we did a podcast on it over on, on Patreon, but there was some great wins for Irish guys last week as well. Um, Will Flory got a good win. Palahan got a good win. Takamandu Your got boy, a good Palahan. win. Yeah. <laughs> she, I, I, haven't, a- I haven't managed to see the fight yet because... Uh, Combat you global are like they'll they'll do whatever they want basically. But I watched the Takamandu fight, and uh, you know he we mentioned on that podcast, but he looked 
He looked like he has a base that he can build very well from. He looked like a very confident striker. You know, Team KF fighter, and you know they 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 talked about him. Uh, you know, looking at John Jones in the early parts of his career, and uh, you could see like he has that lint and he tries to fight like him and everything like that. So I, I think uh, his head movement and his his uh, his defense could improve a little bit, but it's the first fight, obviously, and everything can improve. Yeah, and, and he's in there against an experienced guy who's you know fought the champion yeah. and uh, to a decision. You know, this guy's you know been there done that and so for a first uh pro fight that's a that's an impressive win and there's obviously things go back and and train but you that's to be expected as you're as you're making your ways and a yeah. young pro yeah 100 and i know ian uh o'neill watched the palahan fight and said it was an absolute war so pal's come through three big fights now so far and won all three and he's a top, yeah, top but you wouldn't prospect. want to be you wouldn't want to be getting in a war every time <laughs> no and i think uh, i think liam o griffin said that to you as well and he mentioned on the podcast and that's 100 correct but uh I would love to see Pano maybe come back and, and get a few fights in Cage Warriors or something like that and, and go to that, that next level and go towards the UFC. And, you know, I'm sure maybe he'll get a few more fights in combatches, but, they're, you know, they're, I, w- I wouldn't trust him as much as I trust Ian Dean to bring a guy's career on, if you know what I mean. So, and, and, well, you even know, looking at, a, you know, looking at um, all the Irish guys who, who kind of go abroad, you're, you're kind of just have to take what fight you get. Like, I'm sure... Yeah. I'm sure Chris Fields and the, and the team would have preferred, you know, somebody maybe a little bit less experienced for for a first pro fight because you know there is a lot of pressure uh, on you on yourself. You're like, this is your life. This is your your everything. Like when you're an MMA fighter, so uh, somebody like Ian Dean, as you mentioned, or uh, will kind of you know take that into account a little bit more. It seems like some of these other promotions are just yeah throw them in there. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Uh, it's it's very true and funny we mentioned cage words Will Flory having fought at the uh, last weekend as well um, he, he um, you know and, and he dominated apparently I didn't see the fight but one of the lads saw it and they mentioned on the podcast and they gave a, a good uh, a good account of it but he dominated that fight from start to finish and uh, he, he did an interview with Ian the week before and he said like that he would love to go to cage warriors but the uh, the politics is kind of stopping it which is, is very interesting now and it's it's a bit sad in a way, isn't it? Because look, we've we've talked about it before, and, and you know, with the the Two whole legendary moments with the Irish uh, fighters yeah. on Cage Warriors throughout the years, like real cornerstone moments, and mm. you know, obviously, uh, you know, uh, there's been problems before between uh, uh, SBG and Cage Warriors, and they've been resolved. So hopefully, this can kind of resolve itself yeah. again. Like you, you can separate. You can separate. You should be able to separate it. Like, like if Will Flory or a Kiefer Crosby or something like that wants to get into cage wars for three or four fights, why could we not keep you know Boylan and Kavanaugh separate? You know, they go in, they have the fight, they leave, and they come away. Like I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's not possible, and maybe they're they, you know. They want to, they all want to go a different route, but I don't know. I think Cage Warriors would be happy enough to have the SBG fighters. I don't know if the SBG, uh, SBG would want to be in Cage Warriors. Maybe that's a discussion for another day. But uh, like I've asked both of parties about it before in interviews. It's been a while now, so maybe the question needs to be asked again. But um, you know, Will Flory, you could kind of see it in that interview. He, he said it himself. He would love to go that route, but it's not possible. And you know, a lot of these lads that did the Bellator thing and got a good bit of money out of it and, and did well, and they're, I think they're probably like. Um, both of them said it now, um, Kiefer Crosby and, and Will Florian. I'm sure there's other fight, fighters thinking the same way. It's like, well, look, Bellator, I, I want to get to the UFC. Bellator was great, but I want to get to the UFC now. And we know the way to get to the UFC is through cage wires. And uh, uh, look, we we mentioned it uh, the last day in the podcast, but Will Flory 
is like if he put if you put Will Flory into the cage wire's middleweight division now, I would be surprised if he wasn't the champion in a couple of fights. To be honest, I think Will Flory is a very good fighter, and you know Ken Kapoinen went, went in there and beat a former challenger, and Will Flory made mince meat of him in in his last fight. Yeah, he'd at least be a valuable asset to the cage wire's division 100%. and the title picture, and yeah. uh, obviously you know for him winning a, if. If he could, as you say, go on and win a cage wire title, that'd be huge for for him as well. So, as you say, it, it seems to be mutually beneficial. So, hopefully, you know, when when it, it makes business sense, it, it can be it can be sorted out. Yeah, and Graham Bylan put out like a statement as well, saying that Irish fighters are held back. Now, I'm, I don't know if they're connected, but it's it's funny the interview came out and then like six hours later that statement <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm not saying they are connected but like you know I th- they think they probably are but you know, hopefully, hopefully people involved a- in the situation may see them as connected yeah. anyway <laughs> they yeah, be very helpful yeah yeah exactly even if they are aren't they are like you know so uh, right we will leave it there um Thank you, Graham, for joining me. Thank you to Spencer for joining me earlier on as well. And thank you to everybody for listening. And uh, we will leave it at that. We will see you all next week. Sign up patreon.com forward slash severe and May podcast. Go to manscaped.com. Use the promo code severe and May. And go to severe forward slash bet us as well. It's open to people in the U- US and Canada. Uh, if you're there so sign up there and uh, get your betting on for UFC 266 we will have the betting show as well during the week and uh, literally I think there's seven shows went up on Patreon last week so your money's worth in one week patreon.com forward slash severe podcast see you all next time good luck